Well, welcome to the Cup for Time podcast here at the Canton United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Clay, and I have the honor of being joined today by Pastor Stephanie Schneider uh, from upstate New York. Uh, Pastor Steph and I have known each other for a very long time now. We went to seminary together and have been through uh, the adventures of ministry together and just glad to have you on the podcast, Steph. I am glad to be here. I've been a follower and listener from day one. And uh, yeah. Been in person twice now at Canton uh, when yep. we come home to visit my husband's family in Brandon. And yeah, just glad to be here. And I'm grateful to always do sermon series with you. Same, same here. It's always a fun collaboration together. So uh, since you are a longtime listener and uh, first time guest on the podcast, if you want to give it just an opportunity to uh, introduce yourself, uh, where are you located? Um, how does your appointment work? Or not really appointment, you're not United Methodist, um, but how what, How does your call work? And what's your family like? Um, so I live in, I live in Glens Falls, New York, which is the base of the Adirondack. So if you know, like Lake George, area um if you're a history nerd um lake george uh fort ticonderoga those are just north of me um i'm an hour north of albany albany not albany uh here gotta have a new york accent um and so i serve two churches for a total of half time which is absurd and unique across almost all denominations um so it's it's absurd to hear of a quarter time position, um, and I have two of them. So I serve First Baptist Glens Falls uh, and Village Baptist. Fort Edward. Um, also, small fact: Fort Edward used to be one of the largest cities in the United States because the uh, Continental Army was stationed on Rogers Island in Fort Edward for a winter. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Coming from uh, North Dakota and seminary in South Dakota, it's very like the history here is really just rich and wonderful. Yeah, wow. uh, it's fun to go into a cemetery and see like 16, 1700 dates, which t- blows my mind. The first time I saw it, I was like, my home state wasn't even a state until 1881. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, great history there. That's awesome. Yeah, so I uh, our call system is a little bit different than Methodist. I'm American Baptist. Um, we it's kind of like so the church puts together a profile and the pastors put together a profile, kind of like your blind dating the regional exec, which would be like your DS, um, puts them together, and then you go through like the interview hiring process, like you would with most jobs, mm-hmm. um, and so that we aren't moved so like i'm in my five i'm five and a half years in this location i am not at risk of somebody saying hey time for a new appointment which is great because i uh, just bought a house on friday <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's awesome um, yeah but but even in the american baptist seven years is the average three to 10 is an average stay at a location. So you have some, you know, that break the mold that are, you know, the 25, 50 year pastorate, but you have some that are that three year, a lot of them that are that three year make or break ministry moments, move on kind of thing. So. Interesting. 
I would not have guessed that. Um, that just kind of that goes against the narrative that I was taught of more of, of call centered denominations. I would not have guessed that being the being the average tenure. Mm-hmm. It, uh, if you remember from seminary where they say like three years is like a make or break moment, you either decide as a church that you're moving in the same direction or you and the pastor just aren't working like your honeymoon period is over. That's really the break point. And then somewhere in there, there's typically a massive conflict that happens within a church, just in normal church rhythm cycles. And it either seals the deal where it becomes a long pastorate or it doesn't. So, um, surprise, surprise, Baptists have as much conflicts as Methodists. What? What? Um, oh, that's awesome. I have two sons, a six-month-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. And I am married to the luckiest guy alive. No, just kidding. I am the luckiest one. Uh, just a really great, handsome, caring, carries the biggest weight load uh, partner. Um, he's my teammate. So uh, his name is Andrew, and we he's from Brandon. And we live here in upstate New York, as we have for five and a half years. And we currently have a dog named Bruce. Oh, hey, Bruce. Nice. Well, awesome. So glad to have you with us with with me on the podcast uh, and just you know, glad to introduce you to the listeners. I know I've made mention of you a number of times on the podcast um, because we've done a lot of stuff together, uh, including this Advent series. And so just yeah. well, we start there. Um, ad, so, uh, Steph, since this this Advent series, just so that people know, uh, comes from uh, our General Board of Discipleship on the United Methodist, mm-hmm. United Methodist Church. Uh, so as an American Baptist, what drew you to this sermon series, Steph? So I was, I I preached uh, the last two weeks uh, in Thanksgiving time, talking about Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving as resistance, Thanksgiving as a fighting back against not the powers of flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces, um, that it is an active way. Um, And so I was reading through the Advent, um, the Advent Tide lectionary text, and I I was kind of picking out like, okay, what am I going to read? What am I? And it just felt like everything, in, specifically in Isaiah, the Isaiah text was just like what I, where I had been leading up to all year. Um, you know, this make way for the king. And it was just, um, so then, so then <laughs> me being me, I was looking, you know, Googling sermon series, sermon ideas using the Isaiah text in Advent, and I saw UMC, and then I happened to be like, hmm, I wonder what Clay's preaching, and looked at your preaching schedule and went, hmm, wonder if I can make a phone call. <laughs> so that's how we ended up together. I had actually yeah. picked these texts out from the lectionary and was like, oh, yeah, and based on UMC discipleship, Google is fantastic, right? Like, you can find mm-hmm. anything with Google, but Absolutely. to know yep. it's been solidly thought through, it just, it's what was in my brain already. Yeah. So. 
Yep. Yeah. And I will say like, you know, from the United United Methodist side of things, um, I really have grown to appreciate our, our, our general board of discipleship or discipleship ministries, however you want to phrase that. I'm old. I say general board of discipleship because that's what they're called. Um, they've noticed that a lot of preachers are becoming sermon series type preachers. And there is such a beauty in taking these lectionary texts that have been a part of the church for you know, 50, 60 years since the Revised Common Lectionary came out, and then taking them and saying, okay, how do we weave them together to make one coherent thought or stream of thoughts for a season, for a time, for a while? And so, yeah, though, so the, they've really done a, a great job over the past couple of um, years, really, of really engaging in sermon series based on the lectionary, because the lectionary is a wonderful tool to use in ministry that brings us to passages of scripture that we might not necessarily use but i was drawn um to just the way that they they highlighted both the gospel and the isaiah text of just you know of 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 really marrying those things together like this week was about you know god we just pray that you would tear down the heavens and 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 get down here and be down here and that points us to jesus but that also points us to a bigger reality of there's a second coming happening that we're looking for that, that that's what we're what we're really looking forward for, forward to in celebrating during advent and then pairing that idea of god rend the heavens and come down here with mark saying but jesus says stop like trying to guess when it's going to happen because no one really knows we just wait patiently we wait expectantly we wait hopefully in this interim time and with each week you know, there is just this marrying of a theme from Isaiah with the gospel text that really propels us forward into really clinging on to Jesus. Uh, we'll get on into this later, but this coming week is Peace Week. And like it's, you know, Isaiah 40 with comfort my people and every valley being made uh, level and every mountain being made low and like, you know, really preparing the way for Jesus and the ways that John the Baptist did that in in in, in Mark's gospel, in Mark, the beginning parts of Mark's gospel, and then just, you know, that idea of how we are doing that same work today as we prepare and we, as we wait for Jesus. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we'll get back to that. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. Next so, week. spoiler alert. That is, yeah. We do a little preview at the end of the episode, um, as longtime listeners like Pastor Stephanie know. So, um, yeah. So, what were your thoughts on this week's sermon, Steph? Um, you started off with this analogy and talking about you being uh, risk adverse, uh, which I know about you, but I didn't like. I I see. Like you have a way of like emboldening people to take risk and yet you are terrified to take risk. Oh, yeah, and no. so I, yeah. what was that? It's just like, it's like the duck treading water. We're like, I can look, I can look calm on the surface, but underneath it's like, Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? It's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how it works for me. Yep. Like yeah. I can make the decision to take the risk, but I'm going to, I'm going to whine and moan the entire time if not just internally. <laughs> right. Um, well, so what is something that you've been weighing recently about risky hope, right? Like, mm. how did I write that? Yeah. Or like weighing the risk on, is it worth taking? Is it, um, and then what are you learning about God or how is God showing up in that hope in that? Yeah, that's a great question. I really appreciate that one. Um, 
So uh, this kind of digs way into where we're going in the future. Um, but there is a sermon series that's going to be happening in January that I've been wrestling with for quite a while. Um, there's also going to be an accompanying Bible study that goes along with it. Um, it's a, a new book by Sue Nilsen Kibbe and Raz Picado um, called Dynamite Prayer. Um, and it's about like, it's about breakthrough prayer, um, and just, and, and launching a breakthrough prayer ministry here in the life of the church. And so I'm going to partner that Bible study with a sermon series on the Lord's prayer of like, you know, teach us to pray, give us this practical, tangible thing of how we actually do this. And then just bring that alongside that, a Bible study about really doing it. And so, um, uh, we're going to be, di- we're going to be digging into that. And it's a risk for me because, um, their breakthrough prayer is something that I've tried to do in previous appointments that has gone varying degrees of, I'm not going to say unsuccessful, but not as success- successful as I hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, f- f- fewer people really grasped onto it than I, than I had hoped or intended. Um, and I kind of became disillusioned maybe a little bit or just you know i've i've been i've been wrestling with this now for three years here in the life of the church like okay how do we do breakthrough prayer here in a way that was different than i tried it in a previous appointment that kind of didn't really work and so wrestling with that and then just you know pulling the trigger and saying you know there are ways that i was the problem the risk of admitting that there were ways that i did it badly and that's hard to wrestle with and like looking and saying, okay, what are the pitfalls that I need to avoid this time? And like, maybe it was part of like it not being God's timing. Maybe it was a part of what the, 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 the deficiencies in my leadership of this, of this idea, but for better or for worse, for hook or for crook, we're going to go forward in January. We're going to talk about prayer and we're going to launch something kind of new here as a way of just kind of, digging back into what what breakthrough prayer can look like in a congregation i'm excited to see and hear what's happening at canton for that um and what what that looks like not just in canton united methodist church but what happens throughout the community in that breakthrough prayer i have also not successfully launched a prayer ministry and i'm not quite sure why and maybe it's just Mm -hmm. my my style as well um sure yeah, I look forward to learning from you and from your church and what you're doing. Yeah, it should be. I'm I'm really I really am excited about it. And I really think that it could, you know, just kind of be what we're looking for, because, I mean, this is year has been a tough year for a lot of reasons, um, you know, between uh, church disaffiliations and like we never really had that conversation, which has been a huge blessing to me as as pastor, um, you know, that that we are we are more or less solidly formed in our United Methodist identity. Um, you know, like leadership team talked about it maybe once or twice, but nothing really came of it. Um, mm-hmm. But so that, but, 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 but it, it has still weighed heavily because we've been a part of other churches situations or like, you know, my uncle says that we need to, or that, you know, the, those outside, you know, those outside of the, 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 the shadow side of us being a connectional ministry of, you know, that we, I mean, they're, they're my friends that have left the church and they're my family members that have left the church. And, you know, that's, that's hard for all of us that weighs on all of us. And then just, you know, some other things in the life of our church, you know, specifically in Canton. Um, 
Yeah, it's been a hard year. And so this could really be a breath of fresh air for us. And really that, you know, getting our spiritual lives intact and in order can really, I think, can really propel us forward to making 2024 a different year. And and if I'm going to be brave enough to say a better year uh, in the life of our church. So I really think that grounding it in prayer is really the really the right way to start. So I, I, I hear that and I'm I'm thinking hope. Mm-hmm. And, right, so we are in this shocking hope and what, like, starting a prayer ministry in the face of what has happened, what is happening, mm-hmm. what, and for Israel, right? Like, even talking about, like, Israel is in captivity at this time. Right. And are saying, okay, Lord, come quickly. Like, God, mm-hmm. let, can we, can you get us out of here? But yeah, hope yeah. in the face of flesh and blood things mm-hmm. that we are experiencing. Hope in the face of the spiritual that we're facing. Right. That's not just like it's not shenanigans. That's not uh, wishy-washy. That's not you know mm-hmm. blind trust. Right. Yeah. That's turning around and marching. Mm. To use like a war thought, like that's turning around and facing your your adversary. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And acknowledging that our adversary isn't necessarily the person next to us, but rather is, you know, like you know what Paul talks about, there being spiritual forces of wickedness and there being you know, other you know, that our battle isn't one on earth. It's 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 one in the spiritual realm. And yeah, we're going to fight through it. That's the risk that I'm being willing to take um, right now. Uh, the the risk that I'm, you know, leading our people into for you know lack of a better whatever. Um, so, Steph, what are what, what when you think about that question, what what comes to mind for you uh, in terms of risk and hopefulness and where God is leading? Um. So I mentioned in my intro that uh, we bought a house on Friday um, in the worst market in my lifetime. Right. Uh, Right. So percentage (laughs) on a mortgage is ridiculous. And um, we bought, you know, not in the safest cleanest neighborhood in town um Mm. and yet learning that it is a beautiful neighborhood of community um but it also happens to have a lot of um multi-unit properties and so having um people coming out of prison as our neighbors Mm. um, right so but i keep when we learned that Andrew and I were just looking at each other and my thought was the only way for people to beat recidivism is to have good neighbors. Mm-hmm. And so let's be those neighbors. And so um, we had, we had made the decision back in July that we were going to postpone buying a house for two years. And now it's December and we've bought a house. And so that was really like our house got sold. Uh, that we were renting. Um, but this, so the, the decision was like, 
okay, so I'm five and a half years into this ministry when we average seven years. You know, it's something like I'm a little nervous. The shoe, the shoe's going to drop. The bottom's going to fall out of something, you know, church conflict is going to happen and we'll have just bought a house here in the worst market. Um, and so uh, we just kept looking at each other in this whole house buying process. And I was like, okay, every time we've tried to buy a house in the past, there's been this like gut reaction of like, something is just not right. If we mm -hmm. feel that again, we're not going to. And so we prayerfully, prayerfully considered that this entire thing. And Andrew would be really good of like checking in and being like, okay, how's your gut? I trust your gut. Are you feeling anything? And I'm like, no, just pressure to hurry up because <laughs> house buying goes fast. Never done it before. Um, <laughs> and so I check in with him. How's your gut? Feels good. So here we are. We bought a house. Um, and so my hope is a to put down roots. This is the first time uh, for Andrew and I, right? Like this is the longest time we've lived in one place. This is the longest time we've had jobs this yeah. long. Really putting down roots and the possibility of being in this community long-term and um, to the point of investing in real estate. And so I'm, I'm hopeful um, I guess in the face of my fear, mm. like this buying a house is intentionally helpful. And just trusting that if it were not that case, that God would have spoken very clearly that with something, right? E even knowing, like, even in the knowing my neighbors were, you know, are people that are not the most trustworthy possibly, that they have storied pasts. There was peace in that. And so, yeah, just trusting that. Yeah. Not saying God won't move ever move us from this place, but for right now, for our family, this is the right place. Nice. That's awesome. I mean, it stinks that you're in North New York, but, you know, it's, it's all good. Know. It's all I good. Saturday night, I sent you a Marco Polo. And I shared that I'd been at the hospital with a man, with a pastor who was dying of pancreatic cancer. Um, and then I'd received news of a friend of a friend committing or dying by suicide. Um, we're surrounded by all this information about Gaza and Israel and Hamas and Palestine. And hmm. What do I say to that person if they were to walk in my church on a Sunday talking about hope? And so how do you find hope in the midst of these horrible things? And how as Christians can we speak words of hope and pointing others to the coming Christ? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's hard. I mean, I think the first thing that we have to do is acknowledge that, that things are hard and acknowledge that life is messy and that, you know, I don't want to just like point back to original sin or original brokenness, but like we do live in a fallen and damaged world where things are not as they should be. You know, mm -hmm. that that's where we, that's where we meet Israel. Like in, in Israel, like they've been taken from their homeland for gen for generations at this point. Like it's been, things are not as they should be, but yet they still have these 
present reminders of God's presence with them. And so like, this is not the time to have that conversation of like, yeah, but look at what God's doing. That's not a conversation to have right now. The conversation to have right now with your friend that, you know, um, that completed suicide or this, this pastor that's dying of pancreatic cancer, like this is not the time to have those conversations that thought that is just to acknowledge that. Yep. That is hard. And that is not fair. And that is unjust. And that is outside of the realm of God's desires for us. But then just, you know, to allow space for that to be true. And then, you know, not to be trite, not to be cliche, but then just to say, you know, that, that, but there's still this larger hope that we hold on to. And here are ways that we see that hope manifesting and, you know, God giving us little glimpses into how this is going to work or how this is going to look, how this is going to look going forward. Like the fact that God is still with us and God is still present, even in the midst of these hard times. Like, like I said, on Sunday, the Israelites knew that God was with them, even in the midst of their exile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they were, they were sent prophets like Isaiah's like the entire second half of Isaiah's prophetic ministry is just them hearing God calling out to them and saying, I know this is hard. I know that this, you know, that this is not where you want to be and not how you intended life to be and not how you wanted your kids to grow up, but do not be afraid because I'm with you. Like, you know, know, what we're going to talk about on Sunday, comfort my people. Like Isaiah, go forth and proclaim these words of comfort over the people of God. You know, like in so many times, Jesus encountered people that were broken. Jesus encountered people that were hurting, people that had life not look how they wanted it to look. And through Jesus' healing, through Jesus' very presence, you know, they, they knew hope was real. And I think that like through the power of the spirit in our own lives and just, you know, there are reminders that we're given, you know, those conversations with friends, those Miranda Marco Polos on a day where it's been a day. And, you know, there was a friend saying, you know, hey, was just thinking of you and just want you to know I'm praying for you. Like those types of things happen. Um, And that should, I mean, it doesn't make it okay. Like, let's be honest. It doesn't make it okay, but it makes it manageable in a lot of ways. To like we 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 can still hold on to hope and believe that there's something bigger and better happening, even if we can't see it right this second. One of the the things as a pastor, I sometimes say, um, in the midst of the death and dying, is or or I've had a few people end up in like a behavioral health unit. Mm-hmm. Um, let me hold on to that hope for you. Mm. Well, do you trust me enough to hold that hope for you when you can't hold it? Wow. Right? Like the beauty of being Christians together is that we can hold on and hold up for each other in the midst of these things. I have another person in my, my realm of life that's struggling, newly struggling with addiction or recognizing that they struggle with addiction. Um, and that idea of like, I can hold on you. you right. So I, I mentioned this to another AA group that meets in our church and they, they handed me their numbers. They said, you give this to that woman. So she can call. Oh. Didn't know her, had never met her like right. and vice versa. Like, but the moment you think you think 
about picking up that drink. Mm. There you go. Here you go. Um, and that's the beauty. That's the beauty of doing this faith together. Which leads me into my third question. You alluded, so you alluded to communion being a sense of hope. Uh, can yeah. you expand on that more? Of course, yeah. That's one of my favorite topics. It wasn't in the sermon proper. It was in my invitation to the table where I was like, okay. this is a meal with a promise. Like there is a promise so inherently connected to this story of this meal. And like from this, from the very start, because this is the this is the start of the Exodus. Like this is God delivering God's people from from Hebrew or from Egyptian captivity. This is the meal that they ate. This is what they're remembering. Jesus has already gathered with his disciples for a remembrance of God's mighty acts of salvation among the people of God. And then Jesus flips it on its head by taking a common element of the table, a loaf of bread, and doing something uncommon with it as he as he says to them, this is my body. And he rips it into two, like, do you get this yet? And then the cup of, you know, this is the cup of the uh, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins, the blood of the new covenant in my blood. And then Jesus says, we're going to do this again. This is a meal with a promise that we're going to eat of this bread and drink of this cup in the fullness of God's kingdom. We get to go to this feast together. We're doing this faith thing together, like you mentioned, and we get to experience this meal with beloved friends and holy strangers uh, now, but yet when the fullness of God's kingdom comes, it's going to be bread and cup. It's going to be us around the table with Jesus feasting in a way that we can't even like, my brain can't even handle it, mm -hmm. but that's what's going to happen. That's what we hold on to. And like Jesus gave the bread and the cup as a reminder because like the disciple, like, you know, we, we have this tradition, Paul taught it to the Corinthians and, you know, and so on and so forth. Like these are the elements that the disciples came back to just, you know, remember that Jesus made us this promise. And like when ministry got hard and when life was weird, they came back around these elements and in the life of the church, we come back to these elements. We come back to this promise that God's still working, that God's still doing something and that there is a time coming where we will feast in the heavenly banquet and it just, Oh, it's a meal with a promise of, of future, you know, future hope. I'm on this like resistance against the, the, the spiritual forces, right? Like yeah. that's just where my brain is at. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm, I'm picturing like a star Wars <laughs> joining the resistance, but like communion is like in the face of Darth Vader, right? Like the darkness, the spiritual darkness that it is, that holding up the bread and the cup is this act, this quick, quiet defiance mm -hmm. of everything and the hope yeah. that is to come. Yeah. Like, um, I made the comment that uh, the hope of Christmas is not some baby born in a manger. Uh, and my church was like, <gasps> Like, that's not what Christmas is about. And everyone was like, <laughs> and I was like, no, it is in Jesus born, Jesus grown as an adult, Jesus ministry, Jesus dying on a cross, Jesus buried, resurrected and ascended to heaven and the promise of coming back again. That is our hope. It isn't, yes. it doesn't end in a manger in a, you know, wherever that manger was located because we don't know. Yeah. 
because it doesn't say, but we all assume it's a stable. Right. All we know is he was laid in a feeding trough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in a manger. But, right, like, that's not our hope is a baby. It is the beginning of the hope. Came from the from the sermon starter of like we're not looking forward to a historic remembrance. We're looking forward to a new experience of God's presence with us made known in Jesus. Yeah. And like we yeah. use the birth of Jesus to talk about this because this is when Jesus rent. This is when God rent the heavens and and God came down to live with us. And it just gives us the hope that it can happen again because it's going to happen again. Yeah, that foretaste of the feast to come. One of the things that you included in your sermon that I did not, that I would love to hear you talk about is the Aleppo story. Um, could well, you, yeah. could you tell me more about what that was? So I've been doing this Bible study or just this devotion, devotional um, on my own called the, uh, the welcoming table. And it's an Advent devotional. Um, and on the first day um, I read the story and it was just like, this is hope. And so um, it talks about in 2016 in war-torn Aleppo, uh, it was in the, the fourth year of the Syrian civil war, which is still going on. Um, you know, everybody around the world is turning to Christmas, this joy, the feasts and the lights and uh, gift giving and singing. And yet in Aleppo, you know, it, Imagine scenes that we're seeing in Gaza right now, mm -hmm. right? Buildings exploded, dangerous bombs going, fighting, happening. Um, days without food or water or electricity. How do you even begin to celebrate Advent? Um, how do you begin to put up a tree or a light? Um, and so a local friar found ways to keep that spirit of Advent alive in their midst. He noticed um, that the waves of, uh, and I'm, I'm going to quote it, it says how the waves of hatred and violence could so easily spread in the hearts of those affected. And so in response, his church made the commitment to being prophets of hope in their community. The commitment was fueled by the belief that small acts of hope can make a significant difference. Uh, the friar reminds us that it is in the small acts when a person is sick, receives a blessing, a poor family receives money to cover medical expenses, a young man who is homeless and cold receives a thick warm jacket, child overwhelmed with fear experiences the joy of being with friends, and hope is reborn. Mm. So as Christmas grew closer, the people decorated the church and turned on all the lights, and these lights became more hope that the light of this Christmas season is still to come. Mm. Yeah. Right. But and the point I made in my sermon from there is that as as Christians, we are called to be hope dealers. Uh we're to be bearers of the hope in this world, uh, much like this this happening in 2016 and around the world. Um and, and going back to the Mark text, like that we are not only supposed to watch, but we are supposed to be proclaimers, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it's a whole lot easier to watch with other people around you. Um, you know, hey, hey, wake up. Hey, hey, wake up. Um, and so doing that helps us proclaim 
uh, Christ for, for others to see. Hmm. Nice. But yeah, it was just from a devotion and it happened to pop up in the right day. It goes back to, you know, God providing us with those little reminders of, 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 of God's continuing presence with us. Like when mm-hmm. we feel hopeless or hope shaken or whatever, we read a thing and it just is the perfect thing. Yeah. 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 It's the way the spirit works. So what is next week for us? Oh, next week is Isaiah chapter 40, which is the comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says your God. Um, and then going into is um, John the Baptist uh, also quoting that same text. Mm-hmm. Um, prepare ye the way of the Lord makes prepare the uh, make his paths straight. I'm really, really stuck on uh, that verse four. This like notion that every valley shall be lifted up. And every mountain and hill shall be made low and the uneven ground become level and the rough places. And then the glory of Lord, the Lord will be revealed, right? Like this idea yeah. of, and right. The glory of the Lord is not for those in the high the glory of the Lord is not in the low. It is mm-hmm. like, until all people can see the glory of the Lord. Like God is working so that all the people, all creation can see yeah. God's glory. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. I've, I've got like all these thoughts running through my head and I'm very nice. excited about, but like just yeah, that same. verse is just mm-hmm. right. And what shall I cry, cry out all flesh is grass and the consistency is like a field, the grass wither and the flower fades, but the word of our, our God will stand forever. Right. Yeah. Like you and I are just, in the grand scheme of a giant field, a blade of grass that withers so fast. But God is over all and in all around that field. What does worship look like for you on, on Sunday, Steph? On this Sunday, um, I preach at 930 at First Baptist and 1115 at Village Baptist. Uh, and then Eastern time, though, right? Eastern time, yes. And so you yes. can find us on Facebook Live. Uh, the First Baptist Church of Glens Falls, New York, or uh, Village Baptist Church of Fort Edward, which means, uh, I mean, technically you could catch both of them and your church service if you wanted to, because you preach like in my gap. Yep. Yeah. Yes, I have definitely logged on to First Baptist a couple of times before church starts. So how about for you? Yeah, so we have worship here at 10 o'clock um, Central Time um, here at the church uh, in person or on Facebook Live. And at 1.30 is our Chi Alpha Kids program um, for Christmas. Uh, so we get to have the Christmas program, which will also be live streamed on Facebook Live as well. So awesome. yeah, it's going to be fun. And then so be sure to uh, tune in to worship, whether you're at Village Baptist or First Baptist or Canton United Methodist Church or wherever you find yourself. And then join us for the podcast next week. Thanks for listening to our Cut for Time conversation. Join us for worship in person or on Facebook Live Sundays at 10 o'clock Central Time. And now go in peace and serve the Lord.